0: guys today. My name is Mike Bunnell, one of the pastors from Greeley, uh, some of you in Greeley, Colorado. Um, Love these guys. Anyway, um, name is Mike. I'm going to, I have a couple disclaimers I'm going to throw out there right now. Number one, this is my third time to run PowerPoint at my third DTC, so this is not something I I do normally. I might get on a roll and, and totally forget, but that's me. Um, second disclaimer, I'm very hard of hearing. So this environment is awesome, and I love being a part of it. When we do breakouts and stuff, and I just have a glazed look over my eye. What, what is this guy talking about? Are you thinking this guy's gone? He's aloof? I just probably can't hear you. Um, and it's not anybody's fault. It's just my life. It's my world. Um, and I've had hearing aids. I actually lost my last set of hearing aids. But uh, they kind of help, but they just make noise louder. It doesn't help me discern what that voice is coming out of the noise that I have to hear, so um, that 's part of the the joys of growing older, but uh, hang in there with us. Um, yeah, I just want to throw that out there so anyway this is this is uh today we 're talking about living in light of eternity. this is my family. The big guy to the left is land, and that 's my baby boy he uh He really sprouted in the last year, not quite as much as the picture looks, but uh, that's Landon. Right next to Landon is my daughter, Brinley. She is 10 years old, just turned 10. She's a, a joy, and uh, I have three older boys and then four younger girls. But it's Brinley. She's 10. That's, of course, that's me with no hair. Little Audrey in the front, our 7-year-old. Uh, she's, she's a bundle of joy, all smiles. Emery, right behind me, uh, who some of you know, she's here. Heather, right next to her. it's my lovely wife. Hadley is uh, right next to Heather, Kaden in the back, Ethan to the right of him, and that's our dog, Moose. He's a, yeah. So anyway, uh, heard a lot of great messages this week pertaining to heaven, hell, the rapture, what do we do with all that? So the day I get the privilege to explore next steps, like what do we do with all this information? When we leave here tomorrow, and in fact when we leave this building in the next hour, What might our our lives look like to live in light of eternity? Ironically, uh, as we're looking forward, there's a lot of kids here looking forward, a lot of uh, young men and young women that have graduated high school that are going to go into college now, or maybe you're a year or two away from graduating high school, and and, uh, that inevitable question comes up that uh, nobody wants to answer. It feels like, what are you going to do with your life, right? It's like, please don't ask me, I don't know. Everybody wants to know, what are you going to do with your life? And because most of us feel obligated to have it all together and to show that we have a plan, we're not just bumbling through life, we say some pretty impressive things. Well, I'm going to go to this institution, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to be awesome. Is really what it boils down to. And yet, somehow, we're really not even convinced that that's reality. Can we, are we really going to do that? I don't know, but it sounds good, so I'm going to share this. And we hear people that say, if you find the right job, you'll never work a day in your life. So we go on this quest to find the perfect job that will make us happy, that will never feel like we're working. And, it, and it, is, that, is that the goal, though, to have so much fun at work that it doesn't feel like it's work? Or is the goal to make money, just piles of money so that you don't have to work? And yet, shouldn't there be something more? So meanwhile, there's a verse in James. It's, it's uh, James 4, 13 through 16. that says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow... We'll go to this, this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord will, if the Lord desires, if it's his will, we'll live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. Such boasting is evil. So after reading this, you might feel foolish. Like, well, I thought I had a plan, but now I feel stupid for having a plan because I'm not supposed to have a plan. What do I do with this? Or maybe you feel good about yourself because you don't have a plan and maybe this vindicates you. (laughs) It's all confusing, it's frustrating, so you just say, forget it, let's go get ice cream. I've been there. But what does God want from us? Think this through a little bit. What does God want from us? How are we really supposed to live our lives from an eternal perspective? I've often said that life is what happens while you're trying to figure out what it is you're supposed to be doing with it. I think there's a valid argument that our regular, everyday, ordinary, mundane, difficult life that is hidden behind all of these grand plans is that that's the life that God's interested in using. He wants us to be involved in the day-to-day grind because that's where life and true, sustainable, spiritual growth is happening. God wants, that's where we spend most of our time, in the mundane. God wants to be in the mundane. So perhaps the question shouldn't be, what impressive degree are you going to get? What high-paying job will you pursue? What are you going to do after school? What big thing are you are going to do with your life? And rather, maybe the big question should be, how are you spending the ongoing, mundane, ordinary moments of your everyday life in a way that will impact eternity? So let's pray as we explore this. Lord, I thank you for today. Thanks for the opportunity we have to come together. Thank you for these moms, dads, men, women, young men, young women. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come together and encourage one another. Thanks for the opportunity we have to look ahead uh, to eternity. And what does that look like for us? I ask, Lord, that you would use my mouth today for your glory. I pray that you would be, we make much of you in this, in this discussion, in this time together. I pray that you would be glorified. Please guide and direct my mouth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Living for eternity, I think the first and most important question before we can even go into this any further is, are you saved? Great Christman asked the question yesterday. He said, do you actually believe or do you believe you believe? John 14.6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other angle you can work here to get right with God. There's nothing else you can do to have a personal relationship with Christ except through the Father. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting or have eternal life. If you'll indulge me for a second. That's my little boy, Caden, uh, as a two-and-a-half-year-old. Check this out. Please play it. please pray, please play. How do I make this play? <laughs> Get in. Do you, how do I, anybody know? What's, what's that? Oh, Josh has got it. So, uh, as, as many of you know, there's a program called Memory Madness that Stephen Kathleen Nelson actually started. About the time Caden was that age. And uh, it's been a great program for our church, great program for many of you, and I, I think you'd all agree. Um, just a verse memorization program. But Caden here is two and a half years old. It's a fun video. Hope we can see it here in a minute. But uh, Caden was singing the Veggie tune, and he knew all the words to the Veggie songs. And we're like, and when you watch enough, any, anything, you watch enough, you're going to learn it. So it's not that Caden's two and a half years old and he's super intelligent. There's probably one and a half year old kids that could do this, but that doesn't matter. But there was this like aha moment. It's like when Caden understands, you know, he knows all the words to the Veggie songs. What if we, what if we taught him some scripture? So maybe we'll get that going on here in a second. But uh, it's fun to show the video. It's fun to watch the video. It's, it kind of it's, it's a picture of uh, it, for me. It reminds me of Caden as a little boy. But uh, it's kind of a proud moment as a parent, probably more for Heather than for me. But it, as a dad, um, is it ready? It's awesome. But as a dad, there's, there's uh, the real joy. Is, uh, Caden knows the words. To John 3.16 here, but the joy is seeing God's word implanted, embedded in his heart and, God, and seeing him walk in faith, seeing him take own that and, say, and to understand that God loved the world so much that he died for me. If we believe in him, I have eternal life. And so for Cain to own that over the years, there, there's nothing like that. That is, the, that is making disciples. That is what our lives are all about. That's what we want to be all about. third John, third John 4. I have no greater joy. I think, I think I messed it up, Josh. There we go. Handsome young man there. I don't know. You might. We may stop doing this in a minute here. Third John 4 says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And I want that for my kids, but you guys... All your pastors here, your family, your leaders are here because they want you to get this. They have no greater joy than to see you guys walking in the truth. Jim Elliott, he's a missionary who uh, died trying to reach the lost in Ecuador. 28-year-old man. But he says this, when it comes time to die, make sure all that you have to do is die. Sounds like a John Wayne, but it's it's Jim Elliott. Scripture is clear that all of us, were slaves to Christ, we're slaves to sin, slaves to the devil. There's no in-between. You're serving one or the other. Every person here will spend eternity in heaven or hell. So if you've not settled that in your heart, where you stand with Christ, the rest of this message and the rest of our time together is almost pointless. That part has to be sorted through, and if you're still sorting through that, that's okay. Please talk to me. Please talk to one of the leaders here. What must I do to be saved? Maybe there's some issues that you're really struggling with. Please just talk about it, okay? And, and Jesus is coming soon. So Don't wait forever to sort it out. In preparing for the message, I've been so encouraged of uh, how do we live in light of eternity because I think Jesus really simplified it. It's not that complicated. What I mean by that, I think Jesus even took a few points in Scripture to say, let me break it down for you. And he broke it down, and, and I really think it comes down to two commandments, the two greatest commandments and the Great Commission. So these commandments, are not they're not to be mistaken as a to-do list of what you need to do to make God happy so you can be right with Him, but rather it's out of response for what He's done for us. It's understanding, man, He he died for me. He loves me. He pursues me. He wants a relationship with me. And out of response for all of that and what He's done for us on the cross, we're happy to do this. I want to know Him better. What can I do to get to know Him better and pursue Him? So when somebody asks someone that you love or someone that loves you, asks something of you, it's not a burden to do those things. It's not like, I have to do this. It's it's, I get to do this. And when when we've given our heart and we love somebody, we've given them our hearts and we love them, it's not a burden to serve them, to help them, to bless them, to obey them. So the first great commandment. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Jesus wants all of you. I frequently use, use the phrase, all in. And uh, sometimes, I, I I I think I might get teased about all in as much as Josh gets teased about spreadsheets. But it's who we are. And I really believe Jesus wants us all in. He wants all of us. He doesn't just want your heart. He wants all of your heart. Furthermore, he wants all of your soul. He wants all of your strength. He wants all of your mind. Have you ever thought what it means to actually give Jesus all of your soul trying to imagine what does it look like for Jesus to have all of my mind what might that look like all of my heart all of my soul all of my strength everything that you have he wants there's nothing left to give after that you ever tried to love Jesus with your every ounce of your entire being that's what Jesus wants from us that's his command to us and it's not because he's you must do this because I'm your hero and you need to obey me, and you need to show how great I am because this is, no, the most loving thing he can do for you is for you to fall completely in love and surrender to him completely because that is where you'll find true rest, true true joy, true purpose. That's where the fruits of the Spirit come to life. And that's the most loving thing he can do for us. So what does it look like in terms of the great command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? I think there's about six things here and a lot of these things have been touched on already, but there's certainly prayer in this aspect of abiding in Christ. First, Thessalonians 5:16 through 18. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. First, James 5:13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. So you can't rejoice always without abiding in Christ. Without praying continually, if 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 your relationship with God is the most important thing in your life, and you're abiding in him, it's easy to give thanks in all circumstances. If you're not, it's easy to start complaining. James 5.13, again, are you in trouble? Pray. Are you happy? Bring the Lord into that too. Sing songs of praise, right? So it's it's this whole concept of the Lord is part of your everyday language, your everyday thought. Um, You're serving him. You're just loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's uh, certainly in prayer. Second is study the word. Study God's word. Know God's word. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17. And, and frankly, if you've done memory madness, you will know a lot of these. And I hope you do. Second Timothy three sixteen through 17. All scripture God is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hebrews four twelve. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's Word will change your life. Psalm 119, 105, your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. When you're studying God's Word, I have a tendency, and, and maybe, probably, you're all much more advanced in reading the Word and studied than I am, I, I have a problem in that I'll, I'll read something and I'll forget, like, the next day what I read. I might read something and you're like, man, this is a great piece of word and great piece of scripture and, I, and I'll think about it a little bit and then the next day I totally forget what I read. So I've been praying, Lord, as I read your word, help me to not just understand and apply in this moment, but help me remember what I read. So I can apply it in six months or a year from now I don't want to forget I want to keep building on what you're teaching me so help me Lord as I read your word to remember what I'm reading talked about this already a little bit the third thing would be memorize the word I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you you know why I had Caden memorize John 3 16 first because it's the most important verse in the Bible or most, the most popular verse in the Bible not really if something happens to me, I want Caden to know, even though he doesn't know what these words mean yet, I want him to know that Jesus loves him, that he died for him, that if he puts his hope in him, he'll be saved. You know why we're learning all these verses? That We want you to know when you're leaving the home, and you're not in church, maybe. I hope you are. When you're leaving the home, when you're in the workplace, or when you're in school, and you're in the public school for the first time, and and or you're on a team and, and the kids are just out of hand and, and conversations are coarse and, and maybe you're even getting teased and God's word can wash over all of that. He brings things to memory. He just, he, 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 you memorize the word, you put it in your heart, he, he recalls it to help you walk through life, to help you make good choices in life. God's word, get it in your heart. I'll say this on the, the Memory Madness program, I'll say this to the parents. Um, almost without fail, I can only think of one or two examples in all of our church over the last 15 years of memory madness. Um, the kids that learn the verses, almost always the kids that get through the program had dads that got through the program. Almost without fail. So dads, yes, yeah, set the tone. And I need to grow in this too. I, to be fair, I haven't gone through the whole thing. My kids have, but the, I, I, uh, I got to finish it. But then my heart is that they (laughs) they would finish it, okay? And your heart has got to be, kids, this is the most important, this is one of the most important things you can do is just plant God's word in your heart. You've got to have it in there. And, Dad, you need it in there too. And if you're not learning, if it's not important to you, your kids don't grasp that, they don't see it, they're not going to learn either. So if you want your kids to learn, probably ought to start learning yourself. Fourth thing would be to surrender, fully submit your life completely to Christ. I said you're either a slave to Christ or you're a slave to the devil. You can't have both, and honestly, guys, you don't want both. It would be unloving for God to let you have both. So embrace the idea of being a slave to Christ. And please don't try to reconcile this idea, this idea of slavery as we know it, of broken men and women leading other men and women. That is not, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is the most loving, perfect God leading us and, and, and making ourselves a slave to him. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 12.1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual, this is your true act and proper worship. True act of worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Our buddy Jim Elliott, he said it this way. He says, he's no fool who gives what he he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Hanging on to your old life is pointless. You can't keep it anyway. Fifth thing I think we need to do is look back. We've got to remember what the Lord's done. For those who love and remember the things he's done for you personally. Times when he's provided, protected, encouraged you, loved you, cared for you, uh, come alongside you. And we're commanded to do this in, in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 5:15. It says, remember you were slaves in Egypt, that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Deuteronomy 7, do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all people you now fear. He's there. He was there in the past. He'll be there now. He'll be there in the future. Deuteronomy 8. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. Remember, remember, remember. Remember Romans 5-8 that while you were still sinning, Christ died for you. Isn't that amazing? He brought you out of death. While you were still sinning, while you were doing the most vulgar thing you could to offend him, to hurt him, he died for you. Remember that. Remember that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He delivered in the past for the Israelites. He delivered in the past for you. He's going to show himself faithful again today and tomorrow. Remember that. Also, look ahead. We've been talking a lot this week about looking ahead. Be ready and mindful and expectant of Christ's return. This is the second to last verse in all of Scripture. Revelation twenty two twenty. 20. He who testifies to these things says, talking about Jesus here, yes, I am coming soon, the heart of John, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Jesus says four times in the book of Revelation, I am coming soon. Hebrews 10.25, we get the heart of this and encourage others all the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus is coming soon. We're just reading 1 Thessalonians today about um, this. this Jesus is coming, obviously, but it says encourage one another in this. We really need to encourage one another all the more. Jesus is coming soon. Make the most of the opportunities that we have. So that's the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second most important commandment, as Jesus said in the words of him, Mark 12.31, To love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So we looked at living wholeheartedly for Christ in your personal life. What does that look like with those around you? In your relationship with others? So I think the first thing to examine is living wholeheartedly with Christ in your relationships with your family. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorframes of your houses and on your gates. I love this. Symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames. The heart of this is, guys, do whatever it takes to wash yourself with the Word. We're always we're talking about this, is the culture of our home. This be the culture of your home. And this is oftentimes written as a charge to parents, and rightfully so. But the heart of this, like, whatever it takes <laughs> to put God's word in your heart and to meditate on that and to make the, that the language in your home. Really, we're talking about abiding in Christ here. Um, and again, it's, a lot of times this is a charge to parents. You guys are here. You're probably some of the older brothers and sisters in your family. A lot of you are. You can take a huge role in, 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 in blessing your brothers and sisters, your younger brothers and sisters, and talking about these things, let them see your, the culture, let, help, help make the culture of your home this. And parents can't do it alone. So if you're an older kid, engage in this. To Be a blessing to your parents. In your church family, um, don't underestimate the important role that you play in your church family. Also the, role, the important role they play in your life. I feel like I, I, over the last year or two, I've been thinking a lot about uh, this this concept of our kids coming into church, and we say, "Oh, you know, give us your give us your baby." We'd love to. have got some people in the nursery that want to hug on your baby and love on your baby, and then you graduate from the nursery into into um, toddler room, and you you know, give us your toddler. You come on into the service. We're going to take care of your toddler, so you can serve Jesus in here, so you can be encouraged. And that's and that's to some degree, that's totally appropriate. And then we graduate from toddlers, and now we're going to start into Sunday school. And give us your child, because we're going to teach them about Jesus in, uh, in a way that helps them resonate with them at their level. And, and you come on in here so you can learn about the big stuff, okay? And then we get through uh, Sunday school, and we move into youth group. Now, come on into youth group. We'll take care of your kid in youth group. You come on in here and worship in the, in the, in the big room. And our church does this, and I'm, I'm not – church has to figure things out, and I'm, I'm – uh, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but I really want to be careful that we don't miss something here. We don't graduate from nursery to toddler room, toddler room to Sunday school, Sunday school to youth group, youth group to graduating from church. Or maybe graduating into a college program, and then you graduate into church. No, guys, this is your church. There's not a pastor in this room that doesn't want you to know that this is your church. You are so important to this church. What you bring is strength, it's, it's energy, it's hope. Old people are already set in their ways. You guys, this is some of the most encouraging times for us, because you guys, act this, you're like, whoa, Jesus is real. He actually does change lives. Wow. Like your, your minds are still ripe. You still believe that God can change souls. The older you get, the more callous you get, the more hard you get, it's, it's, it's just harder to get through to people. So you guys, what you bring is so important to the church. Don't miss that. This is your church. I uh, um, When I graduated from college, I graduated with a degree in, in uh, management and finance, business administration. And um, I interviewed with the finance company, and and they wanted me to move to Casper, Wyoming. And they said, are you willing to relocate? And you feel like as every, high, every college grad, at least in my generation, you felt like you had to say, yes, I'll be happy to relocate. So they called me and they said, we want to hire you. We want to move you to Casper, Wyoming. Is that going to be a problem? Well, I didn't really want to move to Casper, Wyoming, but I can't say it's a problem. So no, 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 that's fine. And uh, a few days later they called and they were just really calling my bluff to make sure I was willing to relocate. They said, we want to keep you in Greeley for about six months and then we'll probably move you to Casper. So the job ended up being a a, a, um, very corrupt wake-up call for me of what the real world is like and uh, parts of business that are are, uh, not helpful. Um, And I was in Greeley, and I walked through that and ended up quitting in six months, and uh, really a wake-up call for me personally. But I may very well have gone to Casper, Wyoming, and had that wake-up call by myself in Casper, and I, and I know there's good churches in Casper, Wyoming. I trust that, I hope that God would have led me to a good church in Casper, Wyoming. But man, guys, like, um, I really think my takeaway out of that and even even watching some things in our church, or group of churches trying to do church plants and taking families, groups of people to do church plants. We need each other. Let's go bring the gospel to different world, different towns, different communities, the world together. I really feel like the God just showed me, like, this is my church, I can find a job. I think my attitude after college is this is my job, I can find a church. And I, God, I, I don't know, like, God, in his, in his kindness and grace, he, he may have walked me through that. And I was very vulnerable, a very vulnerable time in my life, right out of college, uh, going through a very uh, corrupt job by myself. He could have carried me through that, but it's, man, <laughs> if I care about my spiritual soul, my well-being, This is my church. I can find a job. Rather than this is my job, I can find a church. Now I understand there's certain situations that uh, don't make that possible. I also understand there's situations where, hey, um, we want to go from here to here, and your parents and your church are behind that. Maybe you're going somewhere for college and you're getting plugged into a good situation. That's all. That's that's understandable. Maybe you're doing a church plant together. That's fine. That's great. That's actually we're commanded to do that. But don't do it alone. Don't walk alone. Trying to do church with COVID has uh, caused a lot of pastors over the last three months, and a lot of pastors and leaders in the church to examine church and what what are we doing? Why do we meet? Why are we why are we meeting? And I think the uh, a lot of people are their mantra is Hebrews ten twenty five, don't give up meeting together. Some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So there's there's the, we really hang on to that verse and we camp on that and says well don't give up. In it's right here. No, it's not. This is a really good verse, though, by the way. I'll get back to that later. Um, Hebrews 10.25, don't give up meeting together. And, and so I think a lot of churches are saying, well, we're not going to give up meeting together. And I think there's people with their guns standing in front of the church building says, we're not giving up meeting together. And it's our constitutional right to meet. And I just don't see Jesus standing in front of a church with a gun protecting his constitutional right to meet. I think the heart of that is actually found in verse 24. that says, Let us consider how to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. The day is approaching. We need to get after it. We need to encourage each other because Jesus is coming soon, right? Verse 24 says, Let's consider how to do it. I think the heart of Hebrews 10 is so often interpreted in, the, in America. I've done it, and it, I think it's 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 been somewhat helpful. But it's because, hey guys, I know it's Tuesday night, and you don't feel like going to small group tonight, or I know it's Wednesday night, and you don't feel like going to youth group tonight. Hey, but hang in there. Don't give up. We encourage one another. You'll be glad you went. Yeah, brother, good job going, right? I, I think that's a bunch of hogwash. I, I, it helps helpful to us. That's not the heart of what this was written to. This is written to the persecuted church. I think he's saying, hey, you're planning on meeting at Whitney's for house church tonight. You're planning on meeting at Whitney's for small group tonight. Guess what? They're watching. They're going to be at Whitney's house. They're going to arrest you. They will slaughter you if you go there. But don't give up meeting together. Don't give up. Encourage one another because the day is coming soon. Verse 24, let us consider how to spur one another on towards loving good deeds. We have to figure it out. And to consider how to do it is figure it out. Don't give up. Yeah, I know. If you go to Whitney's house, you might die. Sorry. Figure it out. You have to keep beating together. You have to figure this out. So I think our churches, during COVID, we got to figure this out. got What does this look like? I think this figure it out principle was awesome. While I'm showering in this trailer right out here. If you have you've not lived until you've showered in a shower trailer. Amen. I've got I to gotta push this button, and sometimes it lasts for a half a second, and sometimes it lasts for 19 seconds. I actually counted this morning. But you're like this, you're trying to. It's awesome. And, and I was thinking on, on Thursday morning, I'm like, I just slept in a toddler room, and now I'm showering in an office trailer. And I'm never going to forget that, because that's what it took to figure this out. You guys have pastors that love you, that care for you. This is a big deal. Josh, um, Bro, you, you guys, Salt Lake, you guys hung it all out there this week. Thank you. <laughs> it's important to figure it out. The day is coming soon. can't get caught up in what's going on around us how do you glorify god in your work your school your neighborhood figure it out figure out how to live for christ at work or school when i was uh after college so i left that job after six months and i i about eight to ten years into my career i'd say by most standards the world would say I, i was doing fine i wasn't the greatest i wasn't the worst i was probably doing okay enough to be called successful. But it it just felt meaningless. And I began to question, why am I I doing this? And so at the time, I just, well, I'm 30 years old, and I'm having a midlife crisis. And I'm like, well, man, if I'm having a midlife crisis now, that means I'm going to die when I'm 60. (laughs) That's kind of disturbing. But uh, in trying to process that, I just finally earnestly began to pray that God would just take me, take my life. To use me wherever I can be most effective to bring him glory, to advance his kingdom. Because if God's in it, I don't really care that much. What it is that I do, it's going to work out. And that's where this beautiful verse comes in. Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That prayer um, really aligned with Matthew 6.33, to follow God and wherever he takes us to make the most of what he's given us because it's his kingdom work. We want to be a part of that. It's helped guide and direct me over the last 20 years. And it's not that I always love my job. Um, Honestly, um, there's times, many times, that my days are very long, difficult, stressful, as a business owner and as a pastor. Um, But I have a peace, I have a purpose, knowing that my responsibility is to be faithful in the mundane, ordinary tasks, to make much of God in my daily grind, and he'll take the care of the rest. So immediately after praying for God's kingdom to be at work in my own life, at my old job, I started seeing things open up. God opening doors for gospel conversations, opportunities to encourage others, exhort them, and other believers to just feel like i am like some sense of purpose in my work. And within about a year and a half of praying that, and, and a year and a half later, I feel like God led me to Start a fence business and, and with a desire to make much of Christ in the workplace. And in fact, long before I became a pastor, I, I, I often told people that I'm in full-time ministry and I raised my support by selling fence because that's where our hearts need to be. And we, we have to keep washing our minds with this. Like, we're not. Whatever job you have is how you bring how you support your ministry. That's all it is because your world better be your ministry. Most of the time, you're either at school or at work. What are you doing with that time? Make the most of that time. Pray to seek God's kingdom in every area of your life. It also guided me like, through the series of decisions of whether I should even become a pastor. And what I mean by that is like, it's, it's, it's a, I am so blessed to lead, be a part of leading this church. Greeley, um, um, wonderful people, amazing people. Couldn't do it without them. Um, but I really had to question, Lord, um, do you want me to be a pastor? Because it's going to take me out of some ministry. At my workplace. And Travis even challenged me in this, and I appreciate that. Is this the best you, like Travis said, dude, you're already a pastor at Bonnell Fencing? Is this a good move for you? And I, I love that. Like say, think through this, pray through this. And Lord, do you want where do you want me? And and honestly, guys, I don't care where I'm at. I want to be used by God most effectively. And I think we can have this idea that if I'm in full-time ministry, such as being a missionary or a pastor or on church staff or somewhere, that it'll be clear for me. And in some cases that might be clear, but in some cases not, because if you're in that role and you need a title to know what to do with that role, you're probably not in the right role. I hope that makes sense. Be all in wherever you're at. We're all in full-time ministry, at school, at work, at our churches, in our homes. And you all eventually are going to have to raise your support by doing a job making money, and just prayerfully consider how to spur one another on in your workplace, in your school, wherever you're at, figure it out. I have a good friend of mine, very good friend of mine, that works his tail off as a truck driver, and uh, he works, he used to work 20-hour days, now he probably only works 15, 16-hour days, Um, he's a hard-working dude, and it's easy to look at that guy and say, how could he ever be used by God, he's in a truck by himself all day. It occurred to me on the way out here, I would guess he spends an hour to two hours a day on the phone talking to brothers, talking to people about the Lord. How are you doing? Hey, man, can I pray with you? He is one of the greatest encouragers in my life, and he drives a truck for 16 hours a day by himself. He figured it out. Amen. That's what what God calls us to do. I was about 30 years old when I had my midlife crisis and I finally decided to try to put God's kingdom ahead of my own. Guys, don't wait that long. George Washington was 15 years old, 15, 1-5, younger than many of you when he's leading his troops into battle. This whole idea of you don't have to be grown up until you're your mid-20s, now maybe even your late 20s, mom and dad will let you sleep in the basement. That's an American idea. George Washington's leading troops when he's 15 years old. It, you are very much, right now, locked in, loaded. This is your church. Live for Christ now. If you happen to be in school doing that, great. If you happen to be in work, great. First Timothy 4.12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So those are the two most important commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The third called the Great Commission, and you are a part of an organization, an association of churches that is fully committed to the Great Commission. They, they believe this is something we should take seriously, and uh, in fact, many of you know each other from past churches because your parents planted another church. Our church was birthed by Steve Nelson from the Fort Collins Church, who's now in El Paso, right? Right? We're like cousins. In a lot of cases, we're like cousins. And this association of churches is called M28. Duly noted after Matthew twenty eight nineteen and 20. It says this, Then Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the Great Commission. He says, you know, take something, here's what I want you to take. I want you to take me into the world. What does that look like? I think in a lot of cases we need to figure it out. Every church is different, every family is different, every situation is different. I do think there's a few opportunities to consider that are right in front of us. Uh, as a church, um, this idea of coming together, wrestling through our different ideas, different opinions, um, as far as meeting together as a church. The world, when, the, when COVID first hit, I saw some things in the world that were actually very encouraging. There may be a, a week or two where you have people working together all over the world because we've got to find a cure. And people in agreement and working, whatever it takes, let's try this, let's try this, let's do this. And now it's, now it's everyone's fault because they said to try something that didn't work. And now we're all turned on each other, and we hate each other, and, and it's all about getting good reads. It's all about whatever. But everybody has an opinion. But I think the church, more than ever, needs to show the world what does Christian unity look like. And that's tough to do, guys. I mean, I'm quite honestly, uh, I th- I think there's three ways to interpret this COVID. One is this is the most dangerous thing in the world, and you better hunker down or you're going to die. That's number one. Number two is this is a dangerous disease, and we've got to figure out how to deal with it, uh, and we have to figure out how to make a living. We still we can't, we can't hunker down. There's other things have to move on. And there's three, this is a complete hoax. What are we doing? Okay? You have people in your church from all three worlds. Personally, I'm probably about a 2.6. But you know what? It doesn't matter that I'm a 2.6 because there's people in my church that are 1.2, and I love them. I think a lot of us are probably here, a lot of you kids probably especially, might be in the high twos. I don't want a church of only high twos. Masks, face masks. I don't like wearing face masks. They tickle my nose. I don't really want to be a part of it. But you know what? Heather and I were walking one day, this is about two, a month, couple months ago. We are just walking around the park without face masks on, and this is when all of this was starting to come, and this elderly lady looks at us like, how dare you? And, To be honest, like we didn't know that much, and I, I still don't know much. I have opinions, but I don't know much. Um, but the lady that, was that loving to the lady. She's scared. There's people in your church that are scared, and guys they're on the side of love. I don't. I'm a 2.6, but that's just my opinion. It doesn't mean I'm right. It doesn't mean you're right. We're all opinions. People are in the far ones. It's their opinion. I don't know if it's right, I don't, personally I don't think it's right because I'm not there. But it doesn't mean that it's not a sin issue, it's not a character issue. So some of the pushback on, on masks is err on the side of love. I'd rather be wrong than err on the side of love. Speaking of love, um, for you specifically, you guys, I, th- I think you have an opportunity that exists that I, I haven't seen in my generation for sure, but phones social media, all these apps, Snapbook, Facebook, I don't like any of them personally, Instagram, Snapchat. Um, you have the opportunity to let the world show you how popular you are, to show, let the world show you how accepted you are, to let the world give you a thumbs up or not a thumbs up. These people don't even know you. Josh, I appreciated your words you shared on discernment last night. Be really, really careful with social media. I think it can be used for good. Personally, I haven't figured out how to use it for good yet. It doesn't mean I won't ever try to, or maybe I couldn't try harder. I haven't figured that out yet. Um, I, I, I do see guys that do it well, that do it really well. I don't know if it, know if it fits my personality or if it's something I want to give my time to, but there's people that do it really well. So I'm not saying that. You can figure it out. But, man, be careful. It's such, a, such an influ- influential platform, and it will destroy you if you let it. It will tell you you're, you're received. It will tell you you have a 1,000 friends, so you're really cool. It will tell you you only have 40 friends, so you're not cool. Again, these people don't even know you. You have an opportunity in this to understand what does the love of Christ look like in personal relationship? What does it look like to have somebody look me in the eye and tell me they love me and care for me? What does brother-sister Christ-like relationship look like in the world? What if we took that to the world and let that light shine before men that they may see our good deeds and praise your Father in heaven? What if we were ready, always prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have, but do this with gentleness and respect? What if we could do that by being engaged in care and love for one another? And it's not that hard. You have to just genuinely care, genuinely accept them, love them for who they are. I had, we had recently started a college group within, our, within the last year, at our church group and uh, we have it at my house we do, usually do dinner and then a Bible study of some kind and uh, really interesting I'm going to bring this up because it's so interesting but my little girl Audrey uh, was just beaming about a month ago and uh, I said hey buddy what's up and she says dad I have four friends at college group isn't that cool and I said, well, that's cool. Um, who are your friends? This is what's wild, okay? Because there's some kids that have grown up in the church. There's some kids that are um, newer to the church. It's, I'll, I'll, you'll see the whole spectrum here in a minute because you know a lot of these names. She said, Caden's my friend. That's pretty cool. Big brother is her friend. I'm proud of you. That's awesome. She said, um, Carolina is my friend. Carolina Kanashog is... Uh, her friend. She said, Malia Nelson is my friend. And she said, Brandon is my friend. Okay, so this is why it's cool. Carolina's been around a little while. The common theme in all four of those people is not that they're necessarily active in our church. The common theme is every single time, Caden, Carolina, Malia, and Brandon, every single time they see Audrey, Hey, buddy, what's up? Give me five. How you doing? All they do, all they do. I care about you. You you mean something. You you bring value. That's all you have to do, guys. Show them the love of Christ. Show them the love. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's all. It's really not rocket science. Love your neighbor as yourself. But the opportunity you have right now, I in my, I, in my opinion, is greater than any opportunity we've had. In China, you can go to China and, and different parts of the world, and you can just preach the gospel, and people want to know who God is, and that's great. Right now, we don't live in China, we live in the United States. The United States wants to see faith in action. You can bring that. So I just want to encourage you in that. I'm going to end with a poem by C.T. Studd. When your last name is Studd, all I can do is show a picture. Look at that. He's a missionary to China. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life, will, will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life, will, will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still, small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and uh, God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for life wherein in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would be a victory scorer, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life twill soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my f- love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life twill soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, Thy will be done, and when at last I'll hear the call, and I know I'll say, 'Twas worth it all.' Only one life till soon be passed; only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life till soon be passed; only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life is burned out for Thee. Let's pray. Lord, please use us. We want to make much of You with our time, Lord. I. We don't know how to do that all the time. But we want to make much with you. Help us, Lord, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our others as ourselves. Help us to bring the Great Commission to the world, knowing that that's what you want, that you're behind that, and you want to make, help us to make much of you. Lord, the day is drawing near, and we want to contribute to the cause. We want to help. We want to be used by you. We want to be burned up for you when we're done. So please, Lord, help us in this. Give us hearts. Give us courage. Give us faith to live for you in the mundane, difficult trying times of our lives. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.